Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Bundesliga show brought to you by Over the Bar. Uh, we are tuning in tonight for yet another review show, uh, but tonight with a bit of a twist. Uh, as you can see, we've got a new friendly face on our screens this evening, so we're very happy uh, to be joined by Emma Smith. Uh, Emma, who is a BBC journalist, has just recently an absolutely fantastic um, article feature piece uh, on the BBC about uh, by Leverkusen. So we'll be talking to Emma uh, about that and, of course, about the Bundesliga in general so far this season. So it's a bit of a, well, we're a third of the way through-ish. We can do a bit of a review, a bit of reflections. Um, so I hope you all can sit back and enjoy uh, along with us. Uh, first things first, Emma, how are you doing this evening? Uh, I'm very good, thank you. Um, coming to you from a very cold and wet Salford, but uh, otherwise I'm very good. Excellent. Mark, how are you doing this evening? Yeah, I'm just freezing, to be honest. Yeah, obviously over here in Nuremberg, yeah, it's about minus five over here, and I'm still getting over that 5-0 defeat from FC Nuremberg against Düsseldorf <laughs> as well. So, yeah, pretty cold, but yeah, not too bad at all overall. Excellent stuff. So, yeah, just before we get cracking, as per usual, uh, please do smash a thumbs up on this video for having Emma on the show. That'd be fantastic. I uh, really appreciate that. Uh, any live comments or questions you have for, for us or for Emma, um, you know, please don't be shy. Get them in. It'd be really appreciated. Uh, we have got some pre-set questions in general, but we'll try and prioritise any ones that come in live. Uh, and, of course, press uh, that red button and subscribe to the channel um, and keep on following us uh, and also subscribe on podcasts as well. Um, so, yeah, we'll uh, we'll get started now then and and you know we'll start off with the title race and what what's been going on so far this season and uh Emma well we'll, we'll kick start with you know with the the current league leaders and and in the shape of Leverkusen and, and maybe um we'll just start off with uh, well how good they've actually been so far this season and maybe we can dig dig a little bit deeper into why that's been the case yeah I mean obviously Leverkusen Drop points for the first time since facing Bayern um, on September the 15th this weekend, um, 1 1 draw. Uh, but it's, yeah, I mean, they, they they really have been fantastic this this season, Leverkusen. Um, it's, 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 it's meant that sort of like even, you know, the 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 the, 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 the race really is as 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 open as it's as seems to be as open as it's ever been although it's obviously early very early days to say that yeah yeah absolutely and I mean it's been really exciting just having that refreshed challenger in a way because Leverkusen obviously haven't been as higher up the league in in the last few seasons and uh, you know, since that man Xavi Alonso's come in, and I know that you know that's something that you really focused in uh, on in, on your article and his influence and and how it wasn't obviously an immediate uh, you know rise. Obviously, he won his first game. I think it was Schalke, wasn't it, which they won mm. uh, quite comfortably. But then they went through a little bit of a, a quiet earth phase. But what what have you been impressed with from from Alonso's point of view? Was he brought? brought to this team is it just the the winning mentality or is there there are other parts that you've seen i mean obviously you've got the winning mentality i mean you've got if you've got Xavier alonso in charge then you'd expect to have the winning mentality because he was a born winner as a player world cup winner champions league winner you know list of titles as long as you are but i mean you 
I think what has been really impressive about Alonso is about how he's come with such a very clear strategy. I mean, it's a strategy based on, you know, outscoring the opponents, about playing this set 3-4-3, devastating on the counter-attack, um, you know, playing in a way that, you know, creates so many chances that even if you are, you know, as they are in the stats, you know, outperforming XG, outperforming, like, you know, scoring a huge proportion of, like, their, their shots on goal, that they're creating these so many chances that... That you that you go that you're going to uh, outperform all the sort of the, the stats and you know with with the playing in such a, a good way playing in such a, a, an in, inventive passing way that not only are they um, you know leading leading the leading the table they're doing it in such an entertaining way that it's it's impossible not to keep keep an eye on them. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. I mean. Obviously, we you were doing the the watch on uh, watch along yesterday, which was great fun. Yourself and Peter. I mean, was, was there anything disappointing about the way that they played yesterday, or do you think it's just because Dortmund put so many players behind the ball and and the fact that they went one 0 up early doors, they couldn't quite do it and they couldn't quite score that second goal, which they've done every game so far this season. Uh, I mean, naturally with Bayern not playing this weekend, it hasn't had. A, Tremendous impact on where they stand from a league point of view, but uh, yeah, what what have you thought? I mean, you know, we've been waxing lyrical about them so much already this season. I guess it's it's quite quite obvious what we think. Yeah, I just thought they were I thought they were brilliant yesterday as well. To be honest, that was my overall opinion. I think obviously myself and Peter covered the game on the watch along for over the bar, and I thought basically apart from the first five minutes, they were better side pretty much throughout the game. Palacios and Jacker in that midfield, wow, they were superb. Like some of the passes they were threading through were just brilliant. I mean, Kosanu as well. He's a guy that we've not mentioned as much this season, but what a game he had, like bringing the ball out of the back. He was absolutely brilliant. I think probably the only two players you could criticise yesterday were ironically Boniface because he missed a lot of chances and his positioning wasn't great. And also Frimpong because he got behind Rearson probably... 10 or 15 times in the game. And I think he only put one or two good uh, crosses in. One of them, ironically, was for the goal disallowed as well at the end mm. of the first half. But the performance in general was superb and I don't see any reason to worry at all for them. I think, you know, as I've mentioned, those three names, I think particularly Palacios, Jacker, and obviously Kosanu were absolutely superb. You know, just what a team it is. Jabby Alonso has just got a fantastic system with that 3-4-2-1. I think probably the only criticism of him, I would have brought our friend Paddy Schick on a little bit earlier, to be honest. He obviously got the assist for the goal. He was really good when he came off the bench. Maybe that is something that, you know, if they're not winning games a little bit earlier on, I'd like to see him make a few more maybe tactical substitutions. But it's only a small criticism because I just think they were brilliant as well. Yesterday. They should have won the game. You know, they could have had a penalty as well, which was harshly turned down. But yeah, full, uh, you know, probably an eight out of 10 performance despite not winning the game. But, you know, still unbeaten well into December. Now. So you can't really complain much. Yeah, as you say, yeah, still really impressive. But Emma, I'll swing this over to you. Is, is eight out of 10 good enough in, in a league when you've got Bayern Munich uh, breathing down your neck constantly? You know, can can you see Leverkusen keeping this up for the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean that's the that's the main issue, and obviously with the um, the buy-in game being postponed, this was a real chance for Leverkusen to 
puts some real uh, distance between themselves and Bayern, which you know they against a against a very good opponent in Dortmund they were they weren't able to do. But it was it, there is that slight feeling of a of a chance foregone because if they had got that, they would be five points clear. Bayern wouldn't be you know within a win of overtaking that overtaking Leverkusen. If you consider the fact that that Bayern game in hand is against the bottom side, you'd imagine they would find that win. And so in sort of real terms, if you look at outside the outside the game in hand, you'd think that Bayern would probably be able to catch and re overtake Leverkusen. That's that is the sort of the pressure that any team has if they're going for that Bundesliga title, which is that you do literally have to be note perfect when you're up against a winning machine like Bayern. And particularly when you've got in the case of Leverkusen, the you know the the history that the you know, the, the never losing sort of or the, the never cousin tag that of of, of mm -hmm. not having won that title of of going so long without a trophy that you sort of have that there are going to be those shakes that sort of like whenever there's any sort of drop points it's like is this the beginning of the um of the of the of the latest collapse or the latest sort of uh, near miss which seems bizarre to say given that this is the only the second game in all competitions this season at which they failed to win yeah. but given this given the given the sort of the lay of the land in the Bundesliga and, and the history of Leverkusen that is th those questions will immediately come but considering how I mean this is a Leverkusen side which is so much better and more coherent and well drilled and playing such better football than those that which have come in before in recent years that you still want to think that this is the side that's going to um, that's that's going to that's book the book the recent Leverkusen trend. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we're going to obviously watch you with great interest, and you know we'll, we'll stick with the title race for now, and then we'll obviously we'll move on uh, as the show continues. And obviously, speaking of Bayern, um, Emma, it'd be wrong of us not to you know um, speak of our. Our Harry Kane, and uh, obviously the the big the big move uh, this summer, which um, I, I presume you know you would also have noticed this, uh, you know the the increased traffic, perhaps even from a you know uh, on your end, uh, you know from from the BBC and, and things like that, uh, you know more articles and, and things like that about the Bundesliga and, and perhaps raising his profile somewhat more amongst its English fans, of course, which is what we're trying to do on on this show. Yeah, I mean. It, 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 there definitely is increased interest. I mean, every single um, Bayern Munich uh, match report is like the, the viewer count has increased exponentially uh, this season compared to last. Hmm. Um, but I guess there's sort of like there's the sort of double edged sword that if you have like a one leading, you know, major player goes to a league, you sort of end up with the hyper focus on that player. Like, for example, there might be a lot more people who are paying attention to Inter Miami because of Lionel Messi, but they won't know much more about the MLS. And I think that there's slightly, a slight similar issue for the Bundesliga, which kind of made me sort of, when it came to came to uh, Alonso's Leverkusen, being like, OK, so there's a lot of focus on this, on Harry Kane and about how many goals he scored and how good Bayern Munich are, but they're still not top of the league. And why is that? And it's because they've found there's, there's an opponent this year who are playing... Even better footballs, and that was and that was worth focusing on. But uh, certainly, from a you know, taking from a perspective of someone who you know doesn't cover the Bundesliga specifically and and you know, covering this season, 
there's a huge amount of interest in the Bundesliga, which has come through Harry Kane going to going not only going to the Bundesliga but hitting the ground running to such an extent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I think it's something that we you know we've seen on our end, isn't it, Mark? And um, you know, like we always say about our show, you know, we don't profess to be the you know the be all and end all of, uh, of everything from a Bundesliga perspective. But of course, we're we're English chaps who follow the Bundesliga with great passion and seeing Harry Kane make that move over in the summer has, you know, has been a real benefit for us, hasn't it, from from the show's perspective. So, I mean, naturally, that's great for, you know, us following him, but also from a buying perspective, it, you know, it just makes them that, well, that different level threat to what they were last season. Yeah, I mean, I think we can even notice just when we put a tagline of Harry Kane in the title, we always get more views than we do when there's no Harry Kane on there. So I think that alone basically just tells you what you need to know. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely hit the ground running. He's not disappointed at all in terms of his performances. He's been absolutely fantastic, obviously, with 18 league goals already, not including, obviously, he's got a game in hand on the other teams as well. So that came in 12 games, which is just ridiculous, basically. I think he's got, what, five, six in the Champions League as well. And I'm sure Man United aren't looking forward to coming up against him in a couple of weeks too in for that must-win game in the Champions League. But yeah, he's been absolutely fantastic. It's really interesting, obviously, because I also live in Germany as well. So it's interesting to see how he's settled as a native Englishman as well over in Germany. And from what I've seen, he seems to enjoy it as well. And from, from the German perspective, a lot of the local German people are really happy with him. They seem to think he's a really good guy. And they're a little bit jealous of England. England have got such a good number nine, to be honest, at the moment, because Germany can't boast that level of number nine. That's for sure. I think we are lucky to have him from an English perspective. And also, obviously, myself and Rory being Bundesliga coverers, we're lucky to have him in the league as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, from Bayern's perspective, let, let's be honest, they're they're going to be right there all season long. That that's why Harry Kane's gone there. Um, there's probably no need for us to delve too deeply into to why that's going to be the case. We've seen you know Kane strike up a really good partnership with uh, you know the really um, hot Leroy Sane, uh, which has been really impressive. So. Uh, yeah, they'll be right up there. They'll be challenging for the Bundesliga and, of course, the Champions League as as that goes on. Um, and no, I'm not particularly looking forward to United playing Bayern um, whenever. <laughs> uh, luckily, it's not this week. Um, but anyway, yeah, we'll move on. Um, <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, it's just like, I think from an English perspective, it's quite interesting how... Man United fans are sort of convincing themselves, oh, well, Bayern don't have much to play for, you know, they've won the league, like, you know, maybe they'll, they'll, let, they'll let it off a little bit, as if, and it's like, I don't think you quite know Bayern Munich. Like, if they're going to, if they're going to take a, uh, an, an easy, and have an easy night of it, or let Man United have an easy night of it, I think you might be sorely mistaken. Yeah, exactly that. And, I mean, we, we saw it for, with their last Champions League game. They still went just as strong and just as hard. But, you know, Copenhagen were able, you know, to get a very creditable draw. And um, But, you know, Bayern take every game just as seriously. Um, and, you know, we see that in, in every game that they go. Going even, you know, the DFB-Pokal matches, we see that across the Bundesliga as well. Um, but so let's maybe look at the the rest of the pretenders, shall we? Uh, in in this season, and um, we'll maybe go on to my boys uh, VFB uh, in, in a little while. But 
Emma, from again, from your perspective, if we talk about you know uh, teams that are usually up there and, and wanting to be in a title race, um, one of which, of course, is Borussia Dortmund, who you know were ever so close last season. You know the pain that were they were all feeling um, uh, across you know uh, Dortmund uh, and associated with them. This, this season hasn't gone uh, hasn't gone quite to plan though, and uh, not we're not quite too sure what what's been missing from Dortmund. Uh, you know the the goals have kind of dried up. Obviously the the striker situation isn't quite working out for them so far. What have you made of Dortmund's work that you've seen from from your end? I think with Dortmund you have to look at how last season ended, and you know obviously you. Know, you can't sort of exist like professional teams can't have allow themselves too much anger. But given how dramatic it was and how badly they they bungled it, I think that some kind of hangover was inevitable. And then you lose your best player in Jude Bellingham, and then all of a sudden, you know, you've got to try and replace you know him effectively with multiple players because you can't you know replace a, a player of that talent with just one other player. I think it's been quite interesting that Dortmund. While they've struggled in the Bundesliga, they've come through a champion, probably the most difficult Champions League group with flying colours. Yeah, and I think almost for them, the Champions League has been a respite because there's been so, there's, you know, there's been comparatively little pressure. I think that having such a difficult Champions League group has actually been a, a good thing for for Dortmund because it's meant that they've been able to sort of concentrate on that with relatively little pressure. But I mean, I think that they've got they've got a weaker squad than they did last year, and then you've got teams like Leverkusen who are stronger than last year. Well, you know, we're on Stuttgart. Like, and then you've got teams like Leipzig who are as who have remained as strong, and then all of a sudden Dortmund find themselves through a combination of factors suddenly find themselves uh, taking taking a couple of steps back, and I think that that's there's plenty of what you know there's there's lots of different explaining explaining factors for that, but I think that ultimately you can't have the end of last season that Dortmund had. And then expect mm. them to be able to pick up straight away. I mean, you know, you can have, I think if you have an extraordinary season, whether for good or for bad, you know, I can compare it to a couple of years ago when Liverpool won the Premier League for the first time in 30 years and the following season really struggled, at least in the first half of the season. You know, mm-hmm. that's the that's following an extraordinarily good season. Dortmund had an extraordinarily disappointing season. And, you know, after that, in both cases, after that, you're going to have a hangover. And that's, I think that's what we're seeing now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mark, from, you know, if we're looking a little bit further into the future, do, do we expect Dortmund to, you know, dip their toes into the, the market in in the winter period that we've got coming up? Is it something they're really going to target? I mean, we've, you know, we've talked about the fullbacks plenty. I know you and Peter covered it in the watch along as well on uh, uh, yesterday. So, what do we expect from Dortmund in in the coming weeks? Is there, you know, what pressure is there on Terzic, especially to see better performances in general? Because they're still up there, just about, and you know they're in the mix, but the performances are not pleasing fans. Yeah, I think I've said it before on the show. I just think they're lacking that world class player. I think we've mentioned before, like almost every season for about the last, certainly since we've been covering the show, Rory, they've sold a world class player every single summer. Obviously. Haaland is one of the most famous, Bellingham last year. You know, you can't keep recovering from selling that level of player every time. And I think obviously in the pre-season, Rory, we kind of covered it. They were a little bit underwhelmed by some of the business that Dortmund had done 
over the summer. I think obviously full crew came in as a number nine. He's done pretty well, but he's not got the same level of, of goals as like a Haaland, for example. We all know that. You know, right. He's got four or five goals and his holder play is pretty good. But, you know, it's almost like replacing like Aguero with uh, Peter Crouch or something. You know what I mean? It just doesn't work, basically. That's the problem. It's just, and I think one of the big problems is the drop of form of Sebastian Allaire as well. Obviously, he was so good the back end of last season. So that the goals have dried up and also the tactics are a little bit strange too. Like, I think I said to Peter yesterday that I've never seen a more defensive Dortmund team in all the time I've ever been watching football. And I think obviously the the system that they play with two kind of holding midfielders, sometimes Emery Chan, who had a great season last year, but hasn't been that good this year. I think Sabitzer as well has been disappointing in truth. I think he was meant to be the, the kind of replacement for Bellingham as that box-to-box midfielder. But from what I've seen, he, he's not anywhere near the same level nowadays. You know, obviously he was a great player at Leipzig, but then he had a kind of failed stint at uh, Bayern Munich and he's not doing that well at uh, Dortmund either at the moment. I think, and yeah, the other problem is the fullbacks, basically. Like Rierson, despite getting the goal yesterday, he was torn apart by Frimpong, completely torn apart. I'm pretty sure he got past him 15 to 20 times in the match. Yeah. That's no exaggeration. I think Marius Wolf is a little bit better defensively, but he's still no world beater, let's be honest. And I think, you know, they might have to go and I don't think Dortmund are going to splash out on fullbacks because they've not got enough money to do it, basically. I think they're going to have to be clever. They might have to go for someone a bit more attack-minded than Marius Wolf, I think, in truth. But they need to get that spark back. Yeah, I think Bino Gittens has been a kind of positive this season, the young Englishman as well. I think they also plucked him from Man City, didn't they, Bino Gittens? So, yeah, I think a, a lot of players coming over from England to Dortmund. He seems to be the latest one. And, yeah, probably Julian Brand hasn't been on his top form. But, you know, they're just about keeping going. As Emma said, they've been good in the Champions League. They could even win that group, which would be fantastic. That could enable them to even reach the last eight or even the semi-final of the Champions League. So it's not all bad for Dortmund. But it's, I just think it's not the best Dortmund squad. That's the truth. And Terzic is doing OK with what he's got there. But they, they probably do need to dip the toes into the transfer market, if not in January, but next summer, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, one other team to come to, maybe from a title race point of view, uh, is is Leipzig. Um, you know, they have been uh, well. They started the season pretty well, and the thing lots of people are getting excited by their prospects. But we see them stutter. Um, we, you know, we've seen them dro- uh, drop silly points throughout the years of covering the show. Um, again, Emma, you know, we've seen quite a lot of superstars leave Leipzig in recent years, whether it is generally speaking either to go to Bayern or into the Premier League. Um, but we've seen some high class players come into the club, uh, no more so than Xavi Simmons, of course, this season. But, um, you know, otherwise, you know, Leipzig has spent a lot of money, but some of their signings haven't gone as well. And, and some of them maybe aren't being utilized as much, no more so than Benjamin Sesco, who is a really you know, sought after property, uh, you know, out there in Europe right now, but he's sitting on the bench and watching Yusuf Paulson still stride out onto the pitch. And uh, is there anything around RB Leipzig that you thought has been, you know, good or, or even bad? Because they're still up there. They've just been a bit too inconsistent as per. Yeah. Well, the first, the, I suppose in terms of from an, from a person who sort of covers more English football and European football, 
seeing them against um, Manchester City uh, the other week in the in the Champions League, extremely impressive. Um, you know, and you sort of you look at that performance and you think they'd be right up there in the in the title race, but. Uh, obviously, if you have, like, then look at see, you see that they're in fact like nine points behind, and as you say, incredibly inconsistent form, like three wins, two defeats in the last five games. It's it's quite surprising. Um, I think from Leipzig's perspective, it's it's a continued sort of question of how they sort of break the glass ceiling between finishing third and fourth in the Bundesliga and finishing first, and. I think that you know the the as you say they've they've, they've spent big in attempts a bit to break that 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 ceiling, but I think that if you've got a, a situation where you are you know as you say struggling struggling to to find to find a consistent goal scorer, it's it's such a difficult thing to find, and outside of you know Bayern and maybe Stuttgart, I don't think there's many. Clubs that I've found that in the Bundesliga, and it's it's I say it's, it's such a difficult thing to find, and 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 like and Leipzig, are, Leipzig are discovering that. I mean, in in you know in, in any given ninety minutes, they could be the most impressive side in the Bundesliga, but across four or five games, it's it, they don't seem to be able to find that consistency yet. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think we need to cover Leipzig too much more, Mark. I mean, you know, we've discussed them quite a lot on the show recently. Um, and again, just been frustrated by inconsistencies, uh, maybe over-reliance on certain players. And again, Marco Rosa just not quite knowing what to do with his all his assets, missing Danny Olmo, of course, any team would do. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how much further they go uh, the season. Again, do, again, probably doing better in Europe um, than, than they are uh, domestically right now. But, you know, again, they're still right in the mix. Uh, right then, so we'll maybe just cover a couple of uh, surprise packages that we've seen so far this season, um, and gladly we can we can start with my boys, Gifty um, Stuttgart, who uh, of course find themselves uh, in you know in third place. Another really impressive uh, performance this weekend, uh, and the returning well, he's been back for a game or so now, but. Uh, Seru Girassi, um, and we'll come to Danny's question as well in the chat about him um, firing Stuttgart to a 2-0 home win and keeping the pressure on, on those around them so they get an extra two points away from Dortmund, for example, because of that draw, and they get two points closer to Leverkusen. Um, first of all, uh, we'll come to the question uh, for you, Emma, uh, from Danny is: Are there any rumours about Seru Girassi over in England? How likely is it um, that a club will go for him in the winter market? Uh, I know my boys, Man United, have been linked with him. So, have you have you heard much more about Seru Girassi in, in English circles? Um, he's not a name that's coming up particularly regularly. I mean, there are clubs in England which are looking for a striker. Arsenal have been. You know they've been talking about whether they need a centre forward uh, to to bolster their challenge. I don't. I think partly because of his injury and partly because there's he's he's not such a big name that I think that a lot of English clubs are looking. You know they don't they don't want to spend you know a lot of money on the on a striker who's had half a good season and then comes and ends up not 
you know, not 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 following not following through. But I mean, he's clearly shown this season that he has, you know, real talent. And when he comes back from injury, I mean, I think from a Stuttgart perspective, you'll want him to sort of like stay as an under wraps from, <laughs> from the Premier League as long as long as he possibly can. Um, I've you know he as any any striker who's scoring a decent clip in a in a top European league will be linked to the biggest clubs in the Premier League. But I'd be surprised to see him move in the winter. Um, obviously, but you you never know, and it depends how you know. At the, at the end of December, if you have Man United and or Arsenal who are still struggling badly for goals, bad struggling badly for a number nine, then you, you may well see his name. But I, I, to be honest, I think if he comes back from injury and he keeps on scoring at the rate that he was beforehand, then you will definitely see him linked with some of the biggest teams uh, yeah. for next summer, maybe. Yeah, and on that point, with players coming well, coming and going um, from the Bundesliga into the Premier League, do we think that that's, generally speaking, an attractive prospect? Because it would seem that players from the Bundesliga are often undervalued or they have really attractive release clauses that, again, something that me and Mark have irked about on, on several occasions and it's something that we don't like to see because we you know see all these great players leave the Bundesliga um, but is that something different that again you see ever because um, the Bundesliga it, it has these you know often these quite generous release clauses in con in, in contracts of, of players? Yeah, I mean certainly you do have an ex- to an extent the feeling that the Bundesliga is you know a, a, a place where Premier League clubs can can pick up talents, and I think there is a certain amount of English exceptionalism. It's where people think, oh well, they've only done it in Germany. Um, you know, can they, can they do it in a cold, on a cold Tuesday night in Burnley or whatever? But I think that maybe Haaland to an extent has helped um, counter that because of the fact that you know there were there were little questions about how whether or not he could carry on his form in the Bundesliga in the Premier League, and the answer to that was no. He's going to be even better. <laughs> um, although I do say that after Sunday, where. He, you know, missed a hat full of chances. So, hey, maybe, you know, maybe this is the start of the downturn that all the naysayers were predicting 18 months ago. Um, but I think that there is certainly an element that certainly the biggest the biggest teams in the Premier League will be looking at who is starring in the, in the Bundesliga, certainly from a forward perspective, and how can we, and whether or not those, those they can... Bring those talents over to the over to the Premier League, and so, I mean certainly you look at another striker who's turning up at Stuttgart. Um, Dennis Undav was sent like when when um, Roberto De Zerbi um, sent, was talk, asked about him being sent out on loan. He was basically saying that effectively it is it's very much a we will be looking forward to be welcoming back next summer, um, and certainly if he's if he comes back having scored twenty goals. This season in the Bundesliga, which he's currently up, we wouldn't put him past him with the with the rate he's been scoring. He will be going straight into that Brighton um, Brighton starting eleven, which is a you know a year as it stands a Europa League starting eleven. Um, so yeah, there, there is certainly an extent to which um, the best players and the best goal scorers in the in the Bundesliga are definitely of interest in the Premier League. Yeah. Absolutely, Mark. Do, do we think that Stuttgart are going to hang on to their assets during during the winter breaks because, well, because of how attractive and what amazing <clears throat> run they've been on so far this season? 
Yeah, I think they will, to be honest, because obviously Champions League is... I know, Rory, you're going to kind of kick me for saying this, but it's looking more and more likely, to be honest, as the weeks go on, isn't it? I mean, they just don't stop winning. They, they don't stop dominating games. It's, they're not just going out, away to play some kind of nicking a 1-0 lucky win. You know, they're just absolutely battering teams. And Werder Bremen are the latest for the... the you know, the machine, basically. They just completely rolled them over. It should have been way more than the 2-0 it was, in truth. And it was great to see Undav and Gurassi both scoring as well, because obviously that was the first game both of them started together, which was great to see. I just think, yeah, there's other players as well. Though. I think maybe even Mio is a player that could potentially uh, be looked at in the Premier League. You know, he's a Frenchman. The Premier League do like Frenchmen as well. And he, he's a very good player at the end of the day, Mio. Um I think he's a player to look at. I think also possibly Ito as well. He was already linked with Ajax, I think. And I think even though he's injured now, he is a player that could potentially make uh, a move over there. But I don't think they'll lose any in January. I really don't. Because I think what will probably happen is they'll wait to the end of the season, see if they get Champions League, and then basically decide, are we going to sell them for bigger money? Because if they get in the Champions League that'll raise the price even more because the power's in Stuttgart's hands then because they'll have the Champions League money coming in and they can just yeah. say, sod you, basically. If they undercut them, they can just say, well, we've already got like 60, 70 million plus coming in just from the Champions League. So even if they qualify just for the Europa League, which is looking very, very lightly as things stand, you know, barring a collapse in the second half of the season, they should at least get that. So, yeah, I think um, maybe next summer I'd be worried, Rory, but I think for now uh, things are looking okay. Uh, it's probably, as I say, Gurassi and Mio will attract attention, maybe even Nubel as well, because he is uh, an up-and-coming keeper. You know, he, he's not even out of the race of getting in the Germany uh, national team, to be honest. He's been that good so far. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of assets at the club, but I think they will hold on to them until the end of the season for me. Yeah, let's hope so, and, and long may their run uh, continue this season. Um, maybe some other surprises uh, so far this season, maybe from a negative perspective, which you'll be uh, aware of as well this season, Emma, is, um, well, that obviously their European prospects have been uh, okay, but Union Berlin obviously have been flying uh, ever since they joined the Bundesliga uh, since promotion a few seasons ago. Uh, improving and improving under Urs Fischer, uh, it's absolute fairy tale of them getting into the top four and qualifying for the Champions League for the first time ever. Um, but this season, uh, regrettably for Union fans and for the Berlin club, they're rock bottom. Uh, they've obviously had to end their partnership, their long associated partnership with Urs Fischer as well. Um, is this a typical one of a team getting into the Champions League and, and perhaps just, well, losing those standards and what got them there? Or, or is it the, the money that was, um, you know, forayed away on the likes of Bonucci or players that, you know, they didn't necessarily need and they should have gone for uh, a, di a different angle perhaps with their first, you know, because obviously they're stepping up in regards to the Champions League, but they had been in Europe for the last few seasons as well. So that, you yeah. know, that's not a different thing. There's maybe just the way that they built their squad this season. Yeah, it's, it's difficult because obviously hindsight's a wonderful thing. And yeah, the, when I, I did a piece about Union Billing before the start of their Champions League campaign, and at that point, 
everything was looking, you know, golden. There was plenty of hope, you know, hope Peps to be able to challenge Real Madrid Napoli for a spot in the in the top two in the in the Champions League group. And you know, there was cautious optimism. But I mean, when I spoke to I, I spoke so I spoke to um, a few Bundesliga fans for the piece that I did about Union Berlin, and one of them said, "Oh well," and I was asking what what would constitute a, a, a successful season. One of them was saying, "Oh well, all we want is just forty points and survival this season." And it's like, and I just, I just thought, "Oh well, that's a that, that's a, that's a that's a cute line." And then just realised that then now, as we approach um, as approach Christmas, so maybe that's a an over ambitious goal. Um, so they didn't take it seriously when when they, when they when they said, "Oh well, we're just looking for survival this year." But it's, I think that ultimately. They have been a little bit unsettled by playing in the Champions League for the first time, playing, you know, playing those Champions League games at um, at Hertha Berlin's ground, at the Olympia Stadium, rather than at their usual home ground, which is un- which was from a technical perspective completely understandable, and you can understand mm. like the economic reasons and the football reasons, but the, like Bunds, um, Union Berlin is, I mean, anyone with even a modicum of knowledge about German football and European football knows about the Union Berlin story and about um about how fan-led that club yeah. is and i think that more than any other club are in i reckon in germany and possibly more than many in, in europe if you unsettle the fans then you unsettle the club and i think that you unset i think that the fans were unsettled by the sudden move to signing star names without a set without a definitive plan about the move to play the Champions League games at you know the Olympia Stadion and I think and also you know when when you have the you know Union Berlin's story since they got into the Bundesliga you know the story of the last five years has been absolutely remarkable in terms of the momentum that they've had you know second Bundesliga Bundesliga Conference League Europa League Champions League it's incredible but even five years of progress it can be it's it, it can, and and five years of momentum can be lost in just a couple of games it's so much easy it's so much easier to lose momentum than it is to gain it mm-hmm. and i think that we've seen that encapsulated in union berlin as i'll be honest i even despite their absolutely abysmal form i was a little surprised when they let us fisher go i don't know about you guys i mean you know, that would seem absolutely mad to say about any other club which loses eight or nine games in a row, particularly as a club that's got like Champions League ambitions. But I was I was a little surprised when they decided to pull the trigger because it seemed like that if any club was going to sort of stick with a man to pull them out of it, it would be Union. I don't know about how, what you guys think about that. Yeah, I mean, me, well, myself and Mark, we, we've done a little bit on this here and there on some of our shows, haven't we? But um, it seemed to be just a kind of a mutual parting, in a sense, much like there was with Boris Svensson uh, leaving Mines and the fact that, you know, Oz Fisher had been part of this journey and will never be forgotten. But, you know, may, maybe I cannot take this team any further, no matter how much my players are, are backing me and how much they're giving everything to the cause, um, Mark. I mean, you know, your surprise was was there in my mind, but it was surprise, but also it kind of had to be done just to try and change the narrative a little bit. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it it's absolutely terrible. It really is terrible that Urs Fischer isn't the manager of Union Berlin. But I think basically what happened was, as you said, Emma, that they signed a lot of like top players and it just didn't work out. Basically, mm -hmm. like none of the big signings, like Bonucci had kind of quite vocal. A lot of people think he had arguments with Fischer behind the scenes. He was dropped. I think he's been dropped twice over the season already. Obviously, he's going to be on huge money. Obviously, the Euro mm -hmm. European Championship winner from 2021, uh, Benucci. The other one was Fofana as well. Also had an argument with Fisher on the touchline. He refused to shake his hand. He was banned by the club for two matches. Like, there's been a lot of crap going on behind the scenes as well. And do you know what? One thing I wouldn't be surprised is if Benucci and Fofana are both released in January. Actually, I can actually see that. I think Benucci has just been a complete car crash sign and he's just not worked out at all. And Fofana clearly has issues. He he made a good start, but since that incident, he's not done very much at all, has he? So I can actually see maybe even Aronson as well. I've heard that they're not happy with what Aronson's doing. I think he's only on loan from Leeds, yeah. right? I wouldn't yeah. be surprised to see him get kicked out as well. I think we're going to see a lot of those big names actually kicked out in January. That's my view. And I well, think they'll well, go depends back to on whether or not. Yeah, yeah, I suppose it depends whether or not Leeds got a break clause. I mean, he's, Aronson hasn't exactly, didn't exactly tear Ellen Road up. So I'm not sure that Leeds will be that happy to have him back a bit too early. But I, I think, I think you, I think you are right. And certainly, you know, they've made all these huge signings and they haven't for the most part worked out. And you wouldn't be surprised if the new man wants to uh, start again. Or at least, you know, yeah. try and get the club back to its, its roots and sort of like in a way to get it out of that, this, the hole that it's found itself in. Yeah, absolutely. Great stuff. Uh, so with what time we have uh, left with Emma tonight, I might just do a bit more of a, a quick run through and summary of what, what else is going on um, at the, well, at the bottom end of the league, obviously we've got Union and we've already quickly touched upon Mines and um, then being down there, the, the sad parting between them and Boz Svensson. And um, well, we've seen a little bit more of an improvement from Mines Um you know, particularly strange to see those two in, you know, bottom and second bottom place. And, you know, we've got the two new boys uh, still hovering above with, you know, Darmstadt and Heidenheim. Uh, and then we've got Balkum and Köln in the mix. Uh, you know, as per usual with relegation races, Emma, and, you know, obviously you'll maybe not have covered these sides as much in on your travels, but it, has it been a shock to you to see the lights of, Obviously, Union, Mines down there, uh, Köln, who obviously we tipped or marked it to the start of the season to struggle, but they've been a side who have been, you know, enjoying a really good run under Stefan Baumgart, um, you know, in, in the league as well. So seeing those teams down there with the two new boys is, is a bit of a shock to our system so far this season. Yeah. Um, I mean, Berlin, obviously, Union Berlin, we've, we've touched on Mainz. Again, it's a case, as you say, a sort of sad ending, but I mean, I suppose it's what it's what happens really when you have a smaller club with a inspirational coach. I mean, it, they, they, they you can have that successful while, but it's it's very difficult to maintain um, on you know when you've got like sort of a churn of players. So I think that with Mainz, it's I suppose you know we see it sometimes in in, in we've seen it in the league with Southampton, for example, who you know had incredibly successful sort of period for a while but in the end you have that churn of players and coaches and eventually the time your time runs out and I think that that might be an extent that with Mainz um obviously teams down there as well I mean 
Heidenheim and Darmstadt, particularly in the case of Heidenheim, anything that's above that that bottom two is a success. And uh, and I think that you know we'll 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 continue to you know just try and scope to as many points as possible. One team that I think that could well be seeing more from after the winter break is is Bochum. I think that it's more concerning for a team if you're playing well and losing than if you're playing well and then drawing. And Bochum, you know, they've drawn seven out of thirteen games, mm. managed to get just second win of the season, three one against Wolfsburg. They are now unbeaten five games. It's a, it's 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 it, and and you know this is for a team that regularly expected to struggle at the bottom. I think that Bochum have enough about them um, to turn a few of those draws into wins and keep themselves at the very least. You know they're back they're up to twelfth now, and it is very you know congested in that bottom half of the table. But I think that Bochum will have. I think that they're they're a team that I'd, I'd pick to, you know, very much keep their heads above water in the second half of the year. Interesting stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mark, any any thoughts on what our relegation race stands at the moment? I mean, we're seeing Heidenheim and, and Darmstadt get drawn back into it after they had some really encouraging, um, well, middle months, I guess, um, when they had some spectacular results. But uh, yeah, I mean, the form book doesn't lie and, and the squads uh, the squads are being tested from a depth point of view and obviously they're conceding too many goals. Yeah, I'm a little bit worried about Heidenheim at the minute because I think they couldn't have played better, but they've not got as many points on the board as, as the performances have deserved. And to be honest, the last couple of games have dropped off for me a little bit. They only lost 2-1 against Leipzig, but that game could have been 5 or 6 in truth. I mean, yeah. Leipzig created so many chances. I think Openda must have missed more chances than any player I've ever seen in that game, really. Wow, he so, must have missed yeah. about 8 chances, really. But yeah, regardless of that, I think as much as we all love Heidenheim and, you know, Bester, Kleindienst, Peeringer, they, they've got so many good attackers, but... My concern with them is the defence is poor, like really poor at times, you know. And Meinke, who I kind of tipped up uh, before the season, just hasn't managed to kind of man that defence well enough for me. That's the problem. And I think they really need probably like a big signing in defence to uh, shore up that and put a bit more ex Bundesliga experience in there. And I think... It doesn't have to be a world-beating player, but just someone who has a bit of experience at this level and knows how to kind of grind out uh, clean sheets and things like that because they, they aren't very good defensively. And I think um, they should be good enough to stay up, really, because they've got goals in the side, they create chances. But I am a bit worried about them. I, I remember uh, someone I know in Germany a few months ago said, I still think Heidenheim will get relegated. And I said, no chance, absolutely no chance they'll go down. He said, he said the season is long. That's what he said. And it yeah. sounds like he was right in some ways because um, the last few results, it seems as though it's been a while since they won a game, to be honest, Heidenheim. And they're still not playing badly, but as I say, 11 points from 13 games is no stellar return, really, in truth. And uh, if they had five, six more points, you'd say they'd be fine, but they don't. And uh, obviously, Cologne is starting to grind out results now. They ground out that win at Darmstadt. You know, Stefan Baumgart's men, you know, he knows what he's doing. He knows how to get results at this level. Minds, I still expect to get better, really. I know I've been saying that for weeks now, but I just don't think the squad is bad enough to get relegated for me. But they do need to start winning games and fast. Um, Darmstadt, yeah, they're, they're probably the weakest team in the league, to be honest, Darmstadt. And they probably will go down. I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. 
But I think the other spot and the playoff spot is pretty, it's anyone's game at the minute down there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right. So as we come towards an end, I just want to push a couple of extra questions there in the comments and then finish off with just um, one more for Emma. As I know, obviously, we're, um, you know, on on the clock um so what one in from moritz uh regular viewer so evening moritz hope you're doing well obviously be pleased with the cone result um so obviously cone have got a couple of winnable games ahead against mines and union berlin before the winter break do you think they win those uh well we can just do a quick quick round the table um i mean i think they'll be close games to be honest i can see a few draws in there as well moritz um because like we say we think mines are starting to improve we don't know what to expect from Union at the moment now. Uh, quickly, Emma, what, what are your thoughts on Cone? Do you expect them to try and pick up a couple more big wins before the winter break? Um, I'm yeah. I mean, obviously they are sort of good with um, matches on paper, and winning away to Darmstadt was such a huge result for Cone. You know, moving them out of that bottom three. In the end, if you are a team like Cone who are tipped to struggle then you need to beat the teams around you so i think that if they they you know it's, it's still the first half of the season but i do think they do need to pick up results against Mainz and union berlin but it will be struggle because you've got that new manager bounce with both Mainz and union berlin it's i think i think as you say those are those will be really really good games but i i'm, I'm still yet to be completely convinced by Cohen, and i think that's they could still very much be around that bottom three and probably potentially in it Come, come the winter break. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Moritz saying as well, Verda dropping into the bottom three before the winter as well, unfortunately for them. Yeah, they are. I mean, they did look a little bit um, toothless against Stuttgart at the weekend. So interesting thoughts there. Uh, Mar, do you see much from Cone before the winter break? Obviously, important win just very quickly. Yeah, it's really tough, to be honest. Yeah, I think that Mainz game is absolutely massive, actually. That's the biggest of those three because they've got to be winning that game at home. And I think if they can win that, then that really will give them momentum going into the Freiburg away and obviously um, the final game against Union away. You know, it's uh, I could see them getting four points, to be honest. I think they might, they'll win and draw one of the Mainz and Union games. I think they'll lose in Freiburg because Freiburg is still a very strong home team, let's be honest. I think I could see them getting four points there. Um, whether that's enough, I don't know. But like, as we've said before, it's been a snail's race at the bottom of the league this year. And we'll just have to see who can kind of scrape together the most points before Christmas. Indeed, that's grand. Uh, and then just finishing off, uh, rounding ourselves back to Leverkusen, quite fittingly, obviously, based on Emma's article. Uh, Craig has asked, can Javi Alonso become the world's best coach, Emma? Um, he can certainly manage the world's best teams. Um, I, I would not be surprised if, in a couple of years' time, he's managing one of his former sides, whether that's um, Liverpool or Real Madrid. Um, the question is whether we'd be able to deal with this, uh, the pressure of either of those sides, which I, I'd, I'd imagine that he certainly could. I mean, he's he, you take, for example, you know, compare him to his old Liverpool sort of midfield buddy, Stephen Gerrard, and certainly Alonso has made a much more impressive start to his coaching career. But obviously, but you know, Gerard made a very successful start to his career at Rangers and then struggled with Aston Villa. You know, sort of making that jump from you know a very decent club in Leverkusen to a world to you know 
to, to making that making that jump is is difficult. But I certainly think that he can cope. I certainly think he's shown both in his career at Spain and then moving to Germany that he he deserves an opportunity to coach at one of the big at the biggest clubs in Europe. Uh, the question is. And then obviously it's a case of whether or not he'll be able to handle that pressure. But I mean, he's a, he's a, as I said at the start, he's a, he's was a born winner as a player. He has, you know, he has that winning mentality. I think that he certainly has all the tools there. It's just a case of now whether he finds the right club for the right circumstance in order to let those uh, talents show. Absolutely. Grand, great stuff. Uh, so yeah, we'll bring it to a close uh, as we're running short on time and obviously uh, certain teams, unfortunately, we haven't been able to touch on. That we'll uh, we'll be back uh, to talk much more about those uh, in our prediction show, uh, which will be back with you on Thursday. A bit of a shout out as well because we're doing yet another watch along. Mark and Peter are joining forces, or well, maybe going against each other for the big DFB Pokal match between FC Nuremberg and Kaiserslautern. That should be a particularly fun watch. Uh, with those two on screen. Um, so, yeah, I'll hand over to yourself, Mark, to just finish up tonight's show. Yeah, come on there, club. Yeah. Okay, anyway, yeah. So, yeah, let's have a look. Yeah, if you enjoyed what you saw today, then check out at Over the Bar FB and at Over the Bar Extra. Also follow Rory personally on Twitter as well with at Village Footy. Yeah, don't forget to like, comment and subscribe as well because we're slowly getting towards our goals. And yeah, recommend our show to your friends, your family, anyone in Germany or English-speaking countries or anywhere in the world, really, that is interested in Bundesliga football. As Rory said, we will be doing the watch-along at, at 6pm German time. So it is an early than usual on Tuesday night. But come in and check Kaiserslautern versus FC Nuremberg. Uh, watch along then thank you again to emma for joining us and we'll see you again next time bye bye guys thank you all